Well, good morning, church. If you are a first-time guest today, we're super glad to have you guys. Uh, We're in a series called I Love My Church, and this is the last week of the series. And so if you're a first-time guest, second-time guest, or a regular attender or member, and you've missed some of these, we have all the messages online at thestonepointchurch.com. You can go to current series and check out to see kind of how we've progressed in this message. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is found towards the end of the Bible. So you can turn there as, as I'm catching you up kind of where we have come from and, and kind of where we're going to start today. So 2 Timothy chapter 4. We started first week to say, I love my church. And, and if you think of it as an inward focus and saying, I love Stone Point, that's really kind of arrogant, really kind of boastful, and that's not what we're going for. We're actually going for, I love my churches in the global church, and God loves his church, and we want to echo his love for everyone. And so we look and we see uh, that we love the church and where it's going and, and what it's doing in the world. In the second week, we took a look at that God loves his church by giving abilities to his people to, to further his story, to, to use their talents and abilities to serve those within the body. And then also in the third week, we got there and we saw that he's given us pastors and leaders to equip us for the ministry, that, that they teach us so that we can go out and use what, what they've taught, and we can change our lives to look more and more like Christ. And then on the fourth week, we saw just the dangers of, the, of what could happen to the church if it's functioning the way it's supposed to, and going forward and moving the gospel forward, and we see that Satan doesn't like that. And so people will come in, uh, kind of like sh- uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, and come in and try to lead away people to other people other ways of thinking, and other pathways. And then last week we saw that if we love our church, what does that mean? Because God is shouting that he loves his church, and he loves us fully, and he knows us fully, and so the fact that he knows us fully, he still loves us. How are we doing as a church to, to love our church fully, to love, to be known fully by our church, and to know our church fully. Like, how are we doing in that? And so today we're going to take a look at end Timothy, the book of Timothy, and see what, he, what Paul is commanding, what he's telling Timothy as a young pastor to do. So let me pray, and then we'll get started, and uh, we'll hear from the Lord today. Father, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for the solidness that it is. I thank you for, for the rock that it can be, our foundation. God, I ask that you help us to take a look today and really grasp what you want your church to do. We say we love our church. Well, what does that mean? What do we have to do to show that, God? God, I thank you for this time. God, I echo the prayer. Be with the Bactil family. Bring healing and peace to that family, God. God, I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, first, before we get into it, let's take a look and really see who he's writing to. Because Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor at a growing church. It's moving rapidly, fairly largely church, fairly large church, largely. And it's and and he's trying to uh, give him uh, just guidance in this, in in what he's doing. And so he starts off 
And even though it's to Timothy, we believe here, sorry, we believe here at Stone Point that all Scripture is profitable to us, that God has inspired all Scripture, and that we need to take and see, even though it was written to a specific person 2,000 years ago, that we need to really take a look and see what applications that we can apply to our lives and change about us, being that we are the church today. And so he wrote, he wrote to Timothy, and, and he's a pastor. So first and foremost, let me lay the foundation here that when you hear the word pastor, you think of what I'm doing right now. You think the guy that's up here speaking to me, he's the pastor of the church. And while that's true, you are all pastors. If you are in Christ, if you have uh, followed Christ, if you are a son or daughter of the king, you are a shepherd of people. Now, it may not be in church, but God has given you a family to shepherd over. You are a pastor over your family. God has given you a job with relationships, and you are to pastor and shepherd those at your job. You have been given friends, and you've been given talents, and you've been given hobbies that you enjoy, and you are to pastor these people there. So if you are in Christ, you are a pastor, you are a minister, you are charged by God to do something. And so what is that? If we are all pastors, if we are all moving along, if we all have been, govern, been given relationships by God, how do we do, what do we do with those? And so let's take a look. We're going to start 2 Timothy 4.1 here. And Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So first, let me, let me kind of lay what's going on here. This is, this is more than just, hey, I suggest. This is more than just say, I'm, I ask you. When he uses the word charge, it's like he's in a courtroom. He's made up a legal document, kind of like a contract, and he's given it to Timothy and saying, okay, I want you to read over this. Really look at the fine print. Make sure you believe all of this. Sign on the dotted line, and you're signing in front of God and Jesus. It's pretty heavy at this point. Like, oh, okay, so the witness is God. Oh, okay. It just got serious, right? So, so what does he say? The very first, going to chapter 2 here, the very first three words is preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The first thing we see here is preach the word. Now, when we say preach, you think, okay, he's just getting up there and, and speaking the word. But preaching the word encompasses so much more than just reading or talking about the word of God. Really kind of what you need to, to see here is to preach the word encompasses, first you have to read the word. Like you actually have to read God's word to know what to say. And so if you don't read it, you don't know it. That's the first thing we see. Did this just go off? No? Okay. Sounds like it up here. So, uh, so it, it just, you have to read the word. Also, you have to believe it. Like you can't just sit here and say, oh, uh, okay, I believe 25% of it. That's half-heartedly believing the word. And so you have to believe that what, what God has done is inspired this word to, to teach us, to move us along, and he wants us to actually let other people know about it. So you have to believe the word. You have to know the word. It's not just simply reading it and regurgitating it. It's actually studying it. It's, it's writing it on our hearts. It's knowing the concepts that God has of his word. 
And also, you have to love the word. Like, there has to be a passion behind the word. Have you ever, I don't, if you've ever seen somebody get up and just speak without passion, it, it gets kind of monotonous. I, I think of like Ben Stein, you know, like Bueller, Bueller, right? Or Dry Eyes, he did that Dry Eyes commercial, where, where it's just, you're like, oh my goodness, make it stop, right? So you have to have a passion for the word. You have to have love for the word. And then also, you have to live it. Because you can't get up here, you can't go talk to somebody and do something completely opposite. You can't say, husbands, love your wives as, God, as Christ loved the church, and then go and physically abuse them, speak horribly to them. You can't do that because it confuses people. And so you, act, you have to live the word when you preach it. And so that's a big thing, a big statement, preach the word. And so how are you doing with this? Like, where are you in this process? And then he says, in season and out of season. So I kind of want to take this to a good East Texas understanding, right? Hunters, right? So if you hunt, or wives, if you're married to a hunter, or vice versa, right? We got some women in here who like to hunt. So if you're married to a hunter, hunting doesn't stop when season, hunting season stops, does it? No. So when you're out of season, you, you go to, the, to whatever deer lease you have or where, whatever property you hunt on, and, and you get it ready for the next season, right? So you clean your, whatever you use, you clean it, you get it better. If you've broken maybe an arrow, you got to buy some more arrows, right? And so there's constant things to do out of season with hunting. And if you ask a hunter, hey, is this a good time or a bad time? If it's not hunting season, it's horrible, right? And so... This in-season, out-of-season is that no matter what time, no matter where you are, you're constantly preaching the Word. And whether it's good or bad, whether your situation is going fine or it's not, you're constantly speaking the Word of God. And so the idea is that when you go home, if you have had a stable week, how are you at actually telling your kids, hey, God has provided us a stable week this week? How, how are you at pointing to the provision of Christ during this time? And then when it's bad, how are you at actually glorifying God through the difficult circumstances? Like, this is, this, is the, this is the process. Are we going to be someone that just seeks God during the difficult times, or are you going to praise Him during the good times? Like, what, what are we doing in season and out of season? And then he says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And all of those sound pretty harsh to begin with. But when you look at the, just kind of the meaning of it all, reprove means to correct gently. And Jesus kind of uses this model when he talks about the, 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 the lost sheep, the one that gets away, and the shepherd leaves and goes and finds the sheep, and he doesn't beat it back into the gate, right, with his, with his stick. He actually picks it up and carries it back to the flock. And so the idea is that you're going and you're gently helping someone along. That You're not just going and saying, hey, you're doing this wrong, kind of clubbing them over the side of the head and then washing your hands of it. You're actually picking them up, which is the more difficult process, and walking along with them and getting them and, and spending time with them. And then you see rebuke, and that idea is to stand firm and sharply correct any disapproval. And I'll give you an example. If someone comes into this building and tells us, hey, there's more than one way to have a relationship with God, we are going to stand firm on the fact that there is not. 
that there is only one way, and that's through the belief of, of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we are sinners, and that Christ is the one that only can redeem us and put us in the right relationship with God. That is the only way, and we will stand firm on that. And that's the idea, is that when something comes and, and, and goes against your belief, that you stand firm and you sharply correct that. And then exhort means to caution earnestly, but with urgency. The idea is that someone is running towards a cliff, and you're not lazily looking back and saying, hey, there's a cliff there, and then you just kind of go on with your day. The idea is that you're running to them and you grab them before they fall off. There's an urgency of saving, of going, and that's the idea of exhorting. And when you take a look at that, there's a lot of love in those three things. And then how do we do it with complete patience and teaching? Through teaching and long-suffering. The idea is that this is, this is a process. This, is, this, is a, this isn't, hey, Again, it's not, come, this is what you're doing wrong, I'm washing my hands of it. This is, this is walking through life with difficult situations. And so this is, this is how we are to preach the word. And then he goes, okay, this is how I want you to do it because for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in that day. We live in that day that if someone doesn't like what they hear, they leave and go to a church or go to somewhere or stay at home and watch it on TV and listen to what they want to listen to, what will please their current situation. And one thing that you have to know, the Bible isn't there for us to pick and choose what we can add to our lives. We don't shape the Bible off of our situations. We look at it and we say that it is God's constant word, that it is good, that it's from our creator, the one that loves us, and he wants us to shape our lives around it. That is the idea of the Bible. And so you get people that hear the things that they don't like and they bolt. But on the other end, if you keep coming, okay, this is the encouraging part of this, that if you come and you hear the word and you may not like it, you get your toes stepped on, but you read it, you study it, and you start changing, there's a relationship there with the creator that is good, that is, that's what he's wanting us to do. And so if you are here today and you keep coming and sometimes you get beat up, praise God, right? Because he's wanting us to mold us into what the Bible wants us to be. And so we, we move, move on to this. And my question really is, what's itching your ears? Like that, when I was studying this, there's more than just teachings in this world today that lead us away, right? Like we, we have itching ears. We lose focus of what God wants us to do. And so what is pulling us away from, from, from what God wants? wants us to do because here he's commanding preach the word and so I'm going to give you a little test you can go and do this by yourself or if you want to actually bring your spouse into it when I say this you may want to not I don't know it could be between you and God okay I want you to go and in a week's time add up hours okay how many hours do you sleep a week? How many hours do you eat a week? How many hours do you work a week? How many hours do you spend with your kids a week? How many hours do you watch TV a week? How many hours do you um, 
read the Bible? How many hours do you pray? How many hours do you go to church? You get the idea, okay? And then, by each of those, write my kingdom or God's kingdom. What am I doing for that? Because you are placed in the workplace to build God's kingdom. So if you are really looking and saying, okay, I am at this place and I've been given relationships, am I using that for God's kingdom? And if you are, put down God's kingdom. But if you're going to work to pay the bills, to build your own kingdom, to buy the new car, to buy the new house, to buy new stuff, put your kingdom. Your hobbies, coaching your kids. When you're on the ball field, are you doing it for God's kingdom? Or are you teaching the kids to win, to do teamwork? All good things, right? But are you infusing God into it? Are you bringing God into it? Because God has instilled relationships between him and people. That's the only thing that really matters to God. And so what are you doing with those relationships? And then add up the hours. Add up the hours. And see what's itching your ears. See what you're focused on. Because if you're focused mainly on God's kingdom, that's great. But if there's something that takes your time away from it, then you know what is kind of pulling you aside and pulling at you and tugging at you to lose focus. That's my just two cents on, hey, homework today, okay? So take some time this week and do that. And then he says to Timothy, okay, you're going to deal with these people, but as for you, always be sober-minded, always be alert, always be aware, don't let anything cloud your judgment, endure suffering, he automatically expects suffering, he assumes suffering, and so during suffering, endure it, do the work of an evangelist, right? And you're like, oh, I am not going to Africa. Right? We think of the evangelist that's going and, and going to this tr- remote tribe that has no internet. Oh, right? And, and, and I'm going to have to speak a language that I don't speak. I can't communicate with them. But the idea is that Christ said, what? Go and make disciples of all nations. So you may not be called to Africa, and you simply need to go home and make disciples. You simply need to go to work and make disciples. You simply need to go to the ball field and make disciples. Wherever you are, this is where you need to go and make disciples. Fulfill your ministry. Fill it up. uh, Complete it. Stand firm in your ministry. And then he says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I've kept the faith. The idea of the drink offering is that it was a substitute offering or substitute sacrifice of an animal. If they couldn't bring an animal to, uh, to the sacrifice, this is back in Genesis, if they couldn't bring an animal to sacrifice to God, they could substitute a drink offering. And so he is saying that my body, that I, my life, is a sacrifice for a better cause. He's saying that my, my stuff doesn't matter because what he says, he says, I'm being emptied out. I'm not holding anything back. He's saying I give up my time, I give up my money, I give up my resources, I give up my pleasures, my desires, my goals for the cause of Christ. And you see it throughout Paul's letters is that he counts everything a loss except for Christ. 
He's saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. What is the race here? What is, what is the fight? It's preached the word. Like he is saying, because I have done this, because I have preached the word and I've done it faithfully, I have kept the, I've kept the faith. I've, I've fought the fight. What are you racing for? What are you fighting for? What, are you, what do you have your faith in? Like, like uh, one day when we are laying on our deathbed, if we go out today, we lay down in our bed, and it is our final day on earth, can you say that you have ran the race as confident as Paul does? Can you say that you've fought the fight as confidently as Paul does? Can you say you've kept the faith? Like, this is difficult stuff that he, he charges us here. And the thing is, is we are all called to do this. We're called to run the race, right? The idea is that, that, that you have focus, like you know exactly where the end of the race is, and you're going to complete it. And so he said, preach the word, and this is the race that I've ran, that I've been faithful on doing what God has told me to do. And then he says, henceforth, therefore, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness that will be given to us from God. Like, that's huge. This isn't just some disciple. This isn't uh, a saint. This isn't uh, just someone that we knew that brought us to faith. This is God giving us a crown of righteousness. Now, when you see the word crown, we might think of like a kingly crown that we put on. and It's got all these jewels. And, and so we're elevated to the status of, of being a king or queen. And that's not the goal that he's going for here. Because our status means nothing, really, in the presence of God. Like God is, he's our king, he's, he's our savior, and when we get face to face with him, we are gonna, we're going to be in so much awe that we don't know how to act. <laughs> it would be like me up on stage, right? <laughs> right? And so, so the thing is, we see God, and what is this crown that he's talking about? The idea here is there's two types of words used for crown in the Bible. There's one that's the, the kingly crown, that's status, and then there's this word called Stephanos, which is a trophy, better translated into English, a trophy for us. So you're giving a trophy of righteousness. And the thing is, is it doesn't say you get the trophy for first place. You ever see those, like growing up in, when I was playing sports, you got trophies for like first, second, and third, or the third place got a medal, and you're like, I don't want a medal, right? Nowadays, if you enroll your kids in sports, everybody gets trophies, Right? That's the idea here, that we're given a trophy of righteousness. Everybody gets this, and it's not for completing the race first. It's for completing the race. Have you ever seen one of those races on uh, the internet or on TV where someone falls down and gets last place, but they get up and they finish the race? What is everybody doing then? They're cheering, right? They're like yelling, awesome performance at this time. That's the idea here is that the idea is that you are actually putting yourself in last place and you're spurring, you're pushing others on. Why do, why do we get up into heaven and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant? Because he wants us to put everybody else before us. He wants us to push everybody on. He wants us to preach the word and, and 
put us in the right place. That's why at the end he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That you are given a trophy of righteousness at this time because you have been a servant here on earth. So this, he's waiting for this crown, this trophy of righteousness on, on the day of appearing. And then the next eight verses, he kind of goes and he, he lists some people. And so if we're all pastors, okay, we're all to preach the word. That is the race that we are supposed to run, is that, to do what God wants us to do, to see the relationships that we have here, and to be faithful in those relationships that he's already given us. And at that day, we can stand before God and say, I have finished the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. What are we to do here? Well, there's people that we're going to come into contact with in church. There's... Some of I, I can guarantee you, every person in this room is on this list, okay? So as we go through this, kind of see where you are, because you're going to be able to pick the people out in this list that truly love their church and do not. So if we are saying today, I love my church, where are you on this list? Do some, do some heart searching here. The very first one is Demas. Paul just says he is in love with the present world. Like, he comes, he's got a relationship with Paul, he knows the gospel, Paul has been faithful on teaching this, one, this person, but the idea is he comes, he hears the gospel, and he goes out, and he loves the pleasures of this world more. He loves his stuff, he loves, his, his, uh, the, he, he loves to do what's right in his own eyes. That's the idea here. So are you, uh, clearly this person loves the world more than he does the church. Is, is this you? Do you come into this place, you hear the gospel, you think it's a great, great thing, but you go out and you just love your comfortability more. The next person, actually the next two people he talks about is Crescens and Titus. One left and went to Galatia, and one left and went to Dalmatia. So you got two people that have been called for another reason to go somewhere else. Like we're starting a new work in Edgewood. Some of y'all are battling whether or not to go over and support that. It doesn't even matter if you go over and serve. We need people to go over and be a part of that service over there. And some of y'all are going to be called to go. And these people were called to go. Whether or not they went for another, some of y'all in this, in this room may get a new job opportunity somewhere else. That is God calling you to another place to further the gospel. He's placing you at a new position to preach his word to new people, to new relationships. So these people are being called and, and sent and, and taken to another place. Some of you in this room today, you won't be with us a year from now because you're being called to go somewhere else. These two love their church. You can, you can see that because no matter what, they went. They felt called, they went. Luke, this is Luke that wrote the book Luke and Acts, and he stayed with Paul. Paul said, he is faithful. He is, he's been with me through all my sufferings, through all of, all of my difficulties, all my good times, all my bad times, and he is a faithful brother in Christ. And some of you, you're going to stay here and pour into people over and over at Stone Point. And you see that Luke loves the church. Because he is faithful. And some of you will get into journey group and you're going to make some friends that you had no clue that they were even on earth 30 years ago. Right? 
You're going to meet people in this church that you didn't even know existed 10 years ago. And God is going to bring you together and they will stick with you through difficult times, through the good times, and there's going to be a relationship there fused that's unlike no other. Praise God for those people, right? And so you've got Luke who's faithful. He loves the church. Mark, Paul is seeking forgiveness for or extending forgiveness for. Back in Acts, there was a dispute or a disagreement between Mark and Paul, and they separated and went different ways. But here, he says, hey, bring Mark back here because he is good for ministry. He has a purpose in ministry. And you see that there's kind of this hope of restoration in the, in the words here, that he is hoping to restore a relationship between him and Mark. Because it's a really kind of... There's a minor disagreement here, and they go and they fulfill ministry in different ways. And some of you today, you need to seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness for someone. Because if we're in the church, there will be people that walk into this church that you're like, they shouldn't be here. They should not be here. And you're going to have to seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness. And at starting point, if you come today, one of the key things is that if you have left a church and you are hurt or you have bitterness, we ask that you do not join Stone Point before going back in seeking restoration and forgiveness from them. Because that is, that is something that we are called to do. We don't, we don't get hurt and leave. That is the worst reason to leave a church. And so seek forgiveness some of y'all need to do that today. Then you have uh, Tasikas. He was sent to Ephesus. He wasn't called. He was sent. So the idea is that Paul said, okay, I see that you have benefit. I see that you have talents and you could be used at Ephesus. Some of y'all are going to be asked by leadership to do things that you're not comfortable with. Serve in children's ministry. I hate kids, Right? <laughs> Serving student ministry. Oh no, I don't get those students. Be a journey group leader. I can't do that, right? You're going to be asked to do some stuff because there is seen talent, seen abilities in you that, that God wants to grow, that God wants to work through you. And so you see that Tasikas, he, he truly loves the church because he's been asked by Paul to go to Ephesus, and he does. He, did, he wasn't called, he's trusting Paul that he knows what he's talking about. And then Alexander, this is the other one that doesn't love the church because he goes against everything Paul stands for. <laughs> and Paul warns Timothy that there are going to be people that try to stand up and go against everything that you stand for. It's not that you push them away, it's not that you forget them, but you love them despite what they're trying to do. It's the hardest people to love are those that are trying to go against everything you say, everything you do. And there's going to be people in the church that do that. We saw it in Second Timothy, uh, Timothy chapter 3 where there's wolves in sheep's clothing that come in and try to lead people away. We still love those people because God still wants them in his family. And so we, we love them. We let them come in. There's going to be people that come in that you're going to be like, I don't want them here because I know what they've done in the past. They don't, they don't believe anything we're standing for. But we have to love these people just as Christ does. 
despite their past. And then he goes on, and he ends with this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. And you see here that Paul says, my first defense, I was standing and preaching the word and nobody stood next to me. There will be times that you will be called to preach the word and nobody's going to stand with you. It may be at work, and you're going to have to actually say, hey guys, this is not a good thing to do. It's not good that you're taking stuff from our boss. You're not bringing up God, but you know that the word says, do not steal, and there's consequences for it. You're preaching the word, and you are not going to be seen as highly favorable. And so, you're going to be at a point that you're, not, you're standing by yourself. But who's standing next to you? He says, but the Lord stood by me. Who else do we need? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that I can preach the word. He said, the Lord provided everything that I need even when I was beside, by myself to preach the word. And so he will give you what you need if you're faithful to step out and do it. And I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Now, you may not be near death when you talk to somebody at work about Christ. You may not be near death when you go to school and you talk to somebody about Christ. You may not be near death when you go home and talk to your loved ones about Christ. But we are all near death at one point. There are two types of people in this room. Those that are in Christ, those that have followed Christ, that have believed in the work that he has done and realized who they are, and they have been saved, you have been saved from the lion's mouth because the penalty of sin is death. Praise God that you were saved from that. That should ignite in you a passion, a love for the word that makes you want to know it more, to go out and speak it more. There's some today that you are still in this world. You still love the pleasures of the world more. You love your desires more. And I pray that you allow us, that you give us time to show you the love of God. I pray that you actually understand that you might be called into a relationship with God, that he wants to change who you are and shape you around the way he created you based off of the Bible. And I pray that you give us that opportunity to talk to you. Don't wait, because God wants to use you despite your past, despite what you think, despite what you know. He loves you fully, and he wants to use you for his story. Let's pray. Father, I do. I thank you for your word. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes we don't like it. But God, you created us. You're, a, you're the perfect being. You know us fully and you know what we need. And you created us in a way and we don't like that. We want to do what's right in our own eyes, what fulfills our own desires. And you just say, look, 
I want to mold and shape you into the, the person I created you to be. And God, I ask that you just help us throw up our hands and run to that freedom, God. Help us to love the church like you love the church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.